This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of my podcast today is Daniel Erickson, founder and CEO of Viable. It actually came from my time at Gettable, that construction company that I was telling you about. And I spent four years there trying to find product market fit and never quite found it. But I did learn a lot about collecting customer feedback, using customer feedback to guide a roadmap. And it just kind of got me obsessed with this idea of using customer feedback to build a really great product. So I started actually looking around on that one and came up with sort of this idea to go tackle that. So the initial spark was actually solving my own problem. And I knew that customer feedback was the best way to improve a product. I actually came across a blog post from Rahul Vora about how Superhuman found product market fit, applied some of those ideas to the system, and then went off to the races from there and quickly realized that this was a larger problem than early stage startups. This is Daniel. He's been active in the software development space since 2006, and he took an untraditional path from most. Together with his co-founder, he skipped college altogether and straight out of high school created a consulting firm in Portland to help early stage companies build their first products, create MVPs, get their first users, and get their first investments. After doing the same thing over and over again for clients as a consultant, he really wanted to dig into a longer-term problem. And being an early member of the Node.js community, where he helped organize a lot of conferences, this got him his first early engineering job at Yammer. From there, he moved to Gettable, where he was the CTO, and to Ease, where he was the VP of engineering. Today. He's the founder and CEO of Viable. Viable is on a mission to help us better and quickly understand what customers are telling us so we can immediately find the most important things we should be working on. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Daniel to my podcast. We explore the challenges many SaaS businesses face in finding product market fit. Daniel shares his experiences and what's required to do or not to do in order to achieve this whether you build a product from the ground up or evolve an existing product. He also shares his experiences that not every product is fit for a product or growth approach and what it takes to spark adoption and to grow meaningful traction. Last but not least, he leaves his view on what it takes to build a software business the world talks about. 
By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that it can take years to find product market fit if you are not making some critical choices. Secondly, why it is way easier to design and build a remarkable product when you've got a very specific user in mind. Thirdly, how to create products that create jaw drop moments every time you demo it. And fourthly, that just solving a customer problem doesn't mean you're going to have a product that grows. Well, hi, Daniel. Thank you for being a guest today on my podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, recently, I think it was about a month ago, I saw an announcement in one of the emails that I get that I always try to read and to digest in one of the AI Insider emails. And I saw that you or your company got a new round of funding. It always triggers me, okay, these companies are doing something and they're going to scale up. So what is the magic behind them? So I checked it out and immediately went to your about page, tried to figure out like what is the big idea and the vision behind the company. And I like what I saw. So hence the invitation. Because I think this is a story that's nice to amplify through the podcast and yeah, talk about the value that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. That's what my podcast really is all about since the start. Before we start talking about your company, Viable, which you started in 2020 January, which is not too long ago, almost two years now. Yeah, a little bit about yourself. If you would have to describe yourself as an entrepreneur in two or three words, what are the characteristics that come up? Sure. So I would say that I am, I specialize in taking highly technical things and turning it into an experience that anyone can use to achieve a goal. So throughout my history, it's, it's always been about taking some challenging problem and then packaging it in a way that, you know, anyone can kind of digest. And so that's from a sort of marketing and sort of positioning standpoint, but also from the actual user experience itself. I deeply care about bringing really good user experiences into places that can really benefit from that. And the places that I usually see that, that can benefit from that are large enterprise companies. They're usually the ones that are a little bit more neglected by good product experiences. Very well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's a skill and it's an art in itself. I like that skill. Possibly it's something that I would always also say as a skill that I got myself. But that's a completely different story. So, yeah, I mean, what is your passion here? Like, and why is that drive so big to turn technology in, into an experience? Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of value to automating things. There's a lot of things that you know humanity has traditionally done in a very manual way. And technology is all about giving people more and more time to do higher and higher leverage tasks. And it started all the way back at agriculture and went through the industrial revolution and then, you know, the internet revolution here, the, the digital revolution. And I really just see this as a sort of continuation of that, really pushing humanity towards the sort of more high, like I said, higher leverage tasks. So instead of doing the things that are just repetitive and monotonous, I really want to help people get to these more strategic things and really yeah. to, to push things forward there. You know, in my past, I started off helping really early stage companies build their very first products, kind of doing the ideation phase and things like that. I'm an engineer by trade, so I build things, but quickly got into the enterprise social network area with Yammer and really tried to push communication forward because communication is another one of those things that can unlock these sort of high leverage tasks. And then quickly switched over to construction tech from there because they were a really neglected sort of industry when it comes to tech. Sure. And then actually, most recently, right before I started Viable, I was actually in the cannabis industry, helping modernize and bring in cannabis delivery. So I was with ease. 
Wow. Okay. That's yeah. kind of a story. So. It's a story in itself. So yeah, talking about your company Viable, what is the big idea behind this? And well, what is the big problem that you're solving here? Yeah. So turns out 80% of the data that companies collect is unstructured text. It is just a bunch of written word. And historically, written word has been really, really difficult to work with from a computer standpoint, right? Computers have had troubles sort of understanding that kind of thing, which meant it was a hugely human task. You know, we talked to a bunch of companies that had product operations teams or customer experience operations teams that were, you know, trying to pull in a bunch of data and then manually tag with features and pain points and sorting people into personas and, and things like that. We talked to a few companies that were literally spending dozens of hours a week just manually tagging data with, you know, whole teams set up to do this. And turns out, Starting in about 2019, late 2019 and early 2020, NLP technology had just got to the point where it could rival humans at that task. And so it was sort of a timing thing for us. We just realized that there was this massive task that was already being done in the enterprise that needed to be you know, simplified and made more efficient. We started off actually at the early stage. When we first started the company, we, we called ourselves Viable Fit. It was actually targeted at very early stage companies, pre-product market fit to help companies find product market fit. But obviously that's a fairly small market, not a lot of money for pre-product market fit companies. But we quickly realized that there was a huge use case for this up market in the sort of medium to large company size. size. And we moved away from the product market fit thing fairly early and went straight into the helping enterprise companies really understand their customer and understand how their customer's thoughts and words can affect their company strategy. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, you're talking about automation and what I see is that you're doing a lot of analytical things. I mean, we'll talk about it later on. Isn't your story much more about augmentation of people? I would say yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I say automation, I think of automation as actually almost an extension of ourselves. It's like when you're, when you hop in a car, right? When you're driving the car, the car almost feels like it's a part of you, like you're moving around in traffic. And when you turn, it's almost like you're turning, you know, while you're walking or while you're running. And I get that same feeling from automation, right? From giving myself sort of these augmented or my customers, these augmented capabilities that, you know, would normally take a lot of manual work. So what we do is, yeah, we augment these voice of customer teams, these product operations teams to free them up from that sort of like that difficult task that they have to focus on the really strategic stuff, like understanding where those gaps are in your product and routing the right feedback to the right teams, things like that. It's really in that's like giving the right type of insights so that one plus one equals more than two, three mm-hmm. potentially. So what sparked the moment where you said, okay, seeing it's a big problem, we need to do something about it. Yeah. So like I said, what brought us in here was actually the product market fit problem. And that's sort of like what started started this whole idea of collecting customer feedback and structuring it. And it actually came from my time at Gettable, that construction company that I was telling you about. And I spent four years there trying to find product market fit and never quite found it. But I did learn a lot about collecting customer feedback, using customer feedback to guide a roadmap. And it just kind of got me obsessed with this idea of using customer feedback to build a really great product. So when I left Ease and I knew I was going to go back to the early stage, either as an exec myself on the technical side or by starting my own company, I knew I was going to have to tackle that product market fit problem. So I started actually looking around on that one and came up with sort of this idea to go tackle that. 
And then the market actually dragged us in the direction of, you know, up market up towards the enterprise. So the initial spark was actually solving my own problem. It was, I knew I was going to have to solve the product market fit problem at some point. And I knew that customer feedback was the best way to improve a product. And so I just kind of looked at that and we were, you know, toying around with a couple of different ideas. I actually came across a blog post from Rahul Avora about how Superhuman found product market fit, applied some of those ideas to the system, and then went off to the races from there and quickly realized that this was a larger problem than early stage startups. It was actually a For sure. problem that every single company can, you know, do well to solve. And so we just expanded from there. Yeah, exactly. And you could possibly do it launch by launch by module by module. You can have you can have that same journey again. Yeah. Very interesting. So what do you believe is the potential if we get this better, we get this right? Well, I think what we're really truly building here is an AI analyst. This is not just a tool for analysts to use to go in and dig into the data. What we really are trying to build is another team member for you. When you get viable onto your system, we actually really do think of viable as an augmentation to your team. In fact, we go so far as to provide a Slack bot where you can literally at mention viable, ask a question, and we'll give you a summarized answer to that question. It's just like asking an analyst in your company, but you're asking us instead. And that's 100% automated. There's no humans in the loop or anything. So I think what we're going for here is, like I was saying earlier, our goal with viable is to deliver the right insight to the right person at the right time. Now, that means a couple of things. So one, sometimes the right time is when you ask, right? So you've got a question, you need an answer. The right time is now. Sometimes the right time though, is when something unknown pops up within the data set, you know, a new complaint pops up that the company has never seen before, or a compliment is growing so that you're sort of seeing a benefit that you've added to your product sort of grow within the user base. So Sort of alerting on those things, I think, is a good direction for us. But overall, once we've solved this problem across the board, I think we've freed up teams to really understand their customer and to really elevate the voice of the customer. Yeah, and that will lead to better products. That will lead to better... Not just better products. Better products, better customer support processes, better sales even, marketing. All of these things can get augmented by the customer voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, so true. And it's everywhere these days, you know. So going back to like the moment that you started the company about two years ago, starting in a market that is, I mean, yeah, I mean, NLP in itself is like, of course, a huge technology technology domain. And then, of mm-hmm. course, there's plenty of those companies that have been pioneering employee feedback, customer feedback, product feedback. I mean, I'm talking about the Qualtrics and the Medallias of this world, the Pendos pretty brave to kind of start in that, in that space or, or did you kind of take other kind of focus on the particular niche area there? Yeah. So we started on this space because it's a really big problem. And we know that we think that there's a lot of room here for different types of solutions. And we actually think of ourselves as living alongside all of those companies that you just mentioned. Those companies focus on collecting the voice of the customer. So understand basically collecting that text. What we focus on is analyzing that text. And so We think that there's a niche in the market there that really has been sort of unexploited. And it's similar to actually just a few years ago, really a decade ago or so, when product analytics were first coming in, right? We had Google Analytics for a long time. And then we had Mixpanel, Amplitude, Heap, you know, a bunch of these data companies that were coming in and trying to help product teams use this data in a better way. And that's our angle as well. We're kind of 
jumping in and we're starting with product teams here and really helping product teams understand their customer and understand how to improve their product to match those customers' needs. And I think, you know, elsewhere, there's been a lot of focus on the customer experience side. And while we're not neglecting that side, our core focus is still with product improvement. Did you have any particular reason for kind of making it really, well, I mean, narrow, but still kind of, yeah, to making it really narrow yeah. and not saying, okay, well, we have this analytics tool and we can do all of these things together. What made you choose specifically product or only product? Sure. So products are much easier to design and build when you've got a very specific user in place. And generally speaking, if you're trying to solve a lot of people's problems, you end up solving none of them really well. And so we had to pick somewhere. And because we sort of started with this product market fit side with, you know, really the product feedback I started there. And because my co-founder and I have a huge product background, right? We've been building products for a long time now. It seemed natural for us to start there. Let me make a small interruption here. Daniel just made a critical remark about what it takes to build products the world will talk about. Focus. It would be so much easier to build a product that would centralize all customer feedback in one place than analyze it and provide insights. But Daniel realized that the devil is in the detail. And to build a product that will drive traction you need to go deep and meet three criteria. That you're solving a problem that is viable, that you're solving a problem that is critical, and that you're solving a problem in a way that exceeds expectations. This is about focus. It's about realizing that you cannot please everyone and build something that's valuable and desirable. And these are traits remarkable software companies master. And you can master these traits as well. The first step, simply read my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can grab the Kindle version free from my website. And to do so, simply go to valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. But like I said, we're just starting there. We're already expanding into a couple of other places as well. So That's a good thing. And I completely agree with you. You know, If you try to please everybody, you please nobody. And it's the chapter one of my book. So one of the things, I mean, talking about product strategy, I mean, that's choice to go only product. Did that lead to making you say yes to specific technology choices and maybe like a big no to other technology choices? I mean, how did it help you in your product strategy? Yeah, sure. So the product did take shape around sort of solving this need for product teams. It kind of came out of understanding the needs of product ops organizations. There's this new sort of team that's sort of forming within companies right now called product operations. Really, it has only been around for about five years now. You know, before that, there were sort of inklings of that being done all throughout an organization, but it was never really formalized. And turns out there's actually a lot for product operations teams to do. They tend to have to aggregate all this data, just like our system does. They have to do a lot of sort of that manual tagging and things like that. So we focused on just their needs to begin with, which was the parts of their job that they really didn't like doing. And what that turned out to be was reading through literally every piece of text that they receive and manually tagging things, trying to figure out the right structure to put everything in so that they can answer, they can preempt the kinds of questions that they would be getting from their teammates so that they could answer those easily. Oftentimes they'd get a question and then they wouldn't have the data structured in a way that would help them actually answer that question. So their job is basically understand what the customers want and need, and then help the rest of the organization understand that as well by answering questions for them, providing reports and things like that. So it turns out there were basically three things that they did that we knew we could help with. So one was 
aggregating the data and structuring it. Two was helping them answer the questions that their teammates have by digging into the data itself, summarizing it for them super easily, and then doing some data visualization around it as well. And then lastly, providing reports on a cadence. So a couple of our customers, for example, have an entire team focused on just writing a summary report for the NPS feedback that they get, and they send it out to their exact team once a week. Now, what that requires is them to read through every piece of NPS feedback for the week, summarize it in a way, and then get some data around it as well and pack that into the thing. This ends up taking hours every week for them to do. And, you know, with generative models like GPT-3, we are actually now able to write those kinds of reports for them. One thing that we do is actually we've got a weekly summary report that comes out. What that does is you pipe in all your data from your disparate data sources, app reviews, NPS, whatever, pull it in, and then we'll actually summarize that for you. We'll tell you what your top complaints were, what your top compliments were, and actually write a paragraph about each of them. And then even pop up verbatim quotes from the customers. So really, it's all about solving those three things, aggregating and structuring the data, answering questions and providing a high level bird's eye view of the data there. And we really used that team as a model. Basically, what are that team's responsibilities? And let's build a product that helps them do that. Yeah. So what was the decision that appeared to be really important for the success that you have right now? Yeah. So I think the biggest learning that we had, actually, when we first started, it was all about just those first two. So the aggregation of the data and answering questions in sort of a one-off way. We found that that was really good for any sort of thing that you knew that you didn't know, right? So for example, like, I know I've got a problem in our onboarding. Let's ask Viable, how can we improve our onboarding, right? And we'll go through and we'll find all of the pieces of feedback that is about onboarding. We'll summarize it in a way that answers that question and sort of show you all the verbatims below that. But that's only half the story. I call that sort of pull, right? You're pulling the insights out of the data set. What we needed was push. There's a lot that you don't know about what's in that data set. So the unknown unknowns were a piece that was missing in the very beginning. So we needed a, a way to expose our customers to those unknowns and really get them aware of what's going on there. And that's where we came up with this idea of those weekly summary emails. And that's actually been the biggest thing to unlock the value of this data is to just give a nice pulse of the customer, you know, once a week or once a month or whatever it boils it down to for the amount of data that you're getting in. And, you know, really just show exactly how that data is changing over time. And it just gives teams a really good way of digging in. In fact, so much so that we've expanded on that and we're starting to build out these custom reports. And the vision here is that every single team within the company should have at least one customer report that they're getting on a weekly basis to help them connect with how their team can affect the customer experience. And so, you know, our main summary is really great for executives, you know, CEOs of these larger companies tend to be fairly removed from the direct customer feedback that they're getting. And it's really tough for them to stay on top of that stuff. So, you know, the more generic summary is great for that sort of high level exec team. But then we could break it down and say you're like a clothing manufacturer, retailer brand kind of thing. You might have a women's department and a men's department. So you want feedback about the women's stuff in one report and the feedback about the men's stuff in another report, right? And so we're breaking it down and we almost think of it as like being able to provide a single report for each team within the company. Yeah, that makes, of course, well, that's where you get really specific. And yeah, you make it super relevant to what's really happening. Otherwise, you're blurring things. You're taking it to a more generic level. What has been the hardest nut to crack in this whole journey for you or for your team? 
So we're dealing with a lot of data here. When you get to large scale, you're getting gigabytes and gigabytes of data just from single customers. And so really building a structuring engine that can quickly identify the themes in the data, quickly tag things with topics, sentiments, emotions, was really the big thing here, the hardest problem that we tackled. And really, you know, defining sort of how all of this stuff gets structured in a way that can be used in the future to do those reports and to answer those questions. So the secret sauce there is really in that sort of series of NLP models that we've developed to really structure that data in a way that is super fast to work with later on. Yeah, I can imagine because, I mean, this is such a rapidly evolving area and you're making product choices that can hurt you at some point in time. So yeah, getting that right. Yeah, we're we're literally on the razor edge of NLP right now. (laughs) We're right up there with some state-of-the-art models that we're developing internally as well. It's a really hard, big sort of meaty AI problem. It's been really fun to tackle. So what, I mean, what intrigues me in this case, I mean, how do you make choices in terms of what you develop yourself and what you outsource to other parties? For example, I mean, this whole NLP is, of course, quite broad. Do you yeah. develop all the NLP engines yourself or do you source them from someone and enhance them? No, we actually use a combination of those, right? We have some things that we've developed in-house and that's for, you know, that's for some of the more sort of very domain-specific things that we're doing. But, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we are also using off-the-shelf things like GPT-3. OpenAI actually has been a great partner for us. We've been working with them since June of 2020. So basically right when GPT-3 first got released, we've been working really well with them on that. They help us with the generative side. So writing up those reports, answering the questions themselves, translating plain English questions to complex queries. All of that is done by software that, you know, we didn't build ourselves, but it's augmented by software that we did. So say I don't have a build or buy, like I'm not specifically like build everything or buy everything. I'm use the best tool for the job. Sometimes that's something we build. Oftentimes that's something that we buy. That's the right way to approach it at the end. Sometimes you need speed and sometimes you really, you really want, you're saying, okay, well, this is something that it really adds to the differentiation or the defensible differentiation that we have to build ourselves as our own IP. Exactly. And maybe others are better at it. Yep. Of course, when you, when you ask a developer, it's like, okay, this is a cool thing to develop. Let me, do, let me try to do it better. Right. <laughs> so what did you learn talking about that? Okay, the product is there. It's got this engine. It's got the focus on helping to build better products for your customers. Mm-hmm. What have you learned selling this? And what would be most important about that? Yeah. So my co-founder and I don't have a sales background. We're builders through and through. So early on, it was a lot of sort of get them on a free trial, get their data in, and then like let them sink or swim. And we've actually learned that that is not the right approach for this kind of thing. Normally, and actually both of us have a background in more sort of product-led growth, sort of self-serve, you know, the Yammer model, basically. That's where we sort of cut our teeth. And so, but that doesn't quite work in a highly data-intensive product like ours. So ours requires us to talk to people because, you know, we're pulling in sensitive data, right? It's customer feedback, it's support data, things like that. And we, you know, we really want to make sure that we are guiding our customers through and making them really comfortable with the product and everything there. So when we first started, like I said, we just sort of like dropped them in the deep end and hoped that they would get it and they would go through. But, you know, we ended up having problems getting data in. And so over time, we've learned how to sort of guide them through that process. You know, we start with an initial conversation where we show them the demo, we show them the capabilities of what we do. We then help them actually figure out what the best data to start with would be. We, you know, 
get them in. We help them make sure that it's formatted in a way that helps them answer the kinds of questions that they want answered and you know, segmented in the way that it can be segmented. Make sure that we've got the right data to provide the reports that they're looking for and then help them actually understand, okay, what do I actually want to get out of these reports? What kind of questions do I want answered? And you know, really just help them think through, how do we use this thing? Because it's a new thing, right? Nobody's really done something in this specific space before where you're digging in, you're asking questions in plain English to get an answer also written in plain English by a computer, right? It's a new interaction paradigm and it's magic. It's awesome when you look at it. In fact, Almost every time we get somebody's new data in and we hop on a call to kind of walk through it with them, you just see the jaw drop when the first question gets answered. And it's so cool to see that. But you have to get them through that journey, right? You have to start by just showing the capabilities, like understanding what problems they have and really digging in and saying like, okay, well, we think we can, like, if you have this kind of data, we can help you solve that kind of problem. And really listening to the customer all the way through and then guiding them towards solving the problems that they're looking to solve. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, I completely agree with the approach you're taking there. And you need, you have a product that is high touch, as they call it. You know, it's not something mm-hmm. that you get, get on and get them through the free trial up to signing up and then right. asking for a license because it's, there's too much to do there. But some, yeah, it's an approach you learn by doing at the end. So you've been involved in startups and companies and product technology type of evolutions. I wrote a book about the 10 traits that define remarkable software businesses. And you've, you've already mentioned a number of pretty big names where you've been involved in. So what do you believe is the secret to building a company that customers just keep talking about? Yeah. So I think that the number one thing is building software that customers love. And the way to do that is to listen to the customer. I know that sounds probably a little redundant with the actual product that we build, because that's what we do. We help you do that. But that's the whole reason we started this is because we saw over time, the best way to build a really great company is to be customer obsessed, right? And it's the Amazon's number one, like core value, be obsessed with the customer. And the way to do that is to listen to them, to understand their needs. It's not like have your customers guide your roadmap directly. You know, not one of those where you like pop up a roadmap and have them vote on the features or anything like that. There's still like product management is still very important, but getting access to that is like getting the entire company to be focused on the customer and to in every single decision that they're making across the board from not just product, but also sales and marketing, customer support, HR even should be asking themselves, how does this decision affect the customer? And then you just do whatever's best for that customer there. Well, you know, making sure that your company can survive. Well, you make a very good point also about that it's not only about the customer or the product department, it's all about the other departments as well and the decisions they make and how they affect the total product experience. Exactly. So do you, do you mean it's a tool also a very good one to align an organization around how we're doing together? Definitely. That's why we started at the top with the high-level summary, you know, because everything should tie into that. When you do a custom report, you know, that's going to be sort of a subsection of what's in that main, that main report there, which means, you know, you can tie your results all the way back up to the top of the company and understand how your team affects the overall. And that's our goal is to make sure that, you know, we can really tie those things together and ultimately use this as a way of having your entire company be obsessed with those customers and really make the right choices for them. That's a nice vision. That's a nice mission to be on. And let's say, well, I understand why the growth is coming, where it's coming from. 
So from the key lessons that you've learned so far, being a CEO of the company, the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over time, what would be a do and what would be a don't if you had to give some advice to people that aspire to do the same? Sure. So for a do, I would say, I'm going to take a little departure from the, from the customer feedback side of things for this one and trust your team. When you're hiring people, make sure you're hiring people who have the same values as you, who want to achieve the same goal as the company, and then let them run with it. I think that the, you know, being too top down is detrimental. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is the person at the top of the company is not as close to all of the problems that the company needs to solve as the people who are there to solve those problems. So the right thing to do is to let them solve those problems in the way that makes most sense to them. On the flip side, on the don't side, I would say, don't do the field of dreams, which is don't think, build it and they will come. Just solving customer needs doesn't mean that you're going to have a product that grows. You need to go find the customers. You need to go actually talk to them, bring them in, help them understand how you can help them. You know, a product doesn't just grow itself. You know, marketing has to happen. Exactly. Wise words. So... Yeah, I mean, we're getting towards the top of the hour. So what is next? Where do you want to take the company in the next 12 months? And what is this big strategic thing you have on your desk at the moment? Yeah, so over the next 12 months, it's all about growth for us, as well as sort of investing in that report infrastructure. Like I said, right now, we've got that high-level company summary where we can give you a good, a good view of what the customer feedback looks like. But over the next 12 months, that's going to get more and more specific and more actionable. And... What that means is we're going to be breaking it down and providing many, many different kinds of reports for different teams. A report for the product operations team to help them figure out how to improve the product. A report for the customer experience team to figure out how they might change some of their customer support processes to better support the customers or better answer questions. A way to help sales and CSM organizations understand what their specific customers are complaining about or are loving about the product so that they can engage them in more authentic and sort of personalized ways all the way through. So basically breaking it down team by team and really understand how can we help this team better connect with the customer. Makes a lot of sense. And I like the structure there. It's uh, it's going to provide you with more angles into the very different organization. We've got years and years of work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen by itself. (laughs) So thanks for sharing the story about the company and how it's evolved so far forward to where it is. Where can people go and find out more about Viable and how can they best connect to you to say hi? So go check us out at askviable.com. We've got our website up there and nice little sign up form to pull in for a demo. If you're interested in doing a demo, happy to hop on with you. The best way to contact me specifically would be specifically my email address. So dan at viable.fit. Good. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I like the story and the anecdotes behind it. I love the big idea. That's the the first thing, of course, that triggered me to invite you. Thanks for sharing the knowledge and the wisdom about certain areas. And yeah, good luck with growing the company. Thank you. And this ends my conversation with Daniel. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Daniel Eriksson, founder and CEO of Viable. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, 
share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.